g'day everyone. Welcome to Life in the Peloton. I'm Mitch Stocker and yes, the Tour de France is finished, but the Tour de France Femmes is underway. It's the first edition of this format in about three decades where the Tour de France Femmes was run back in the 1980s. 24 teams will take part in this year's edition, starting on the iconic Champs-Élysées, covering 1,029 kilometers over eight stages, which is featuring a little bit of everything. They've made a really good route. They've got flat sprint stages in there, some puncture stages with some rolling climbs. They've even got a few a stage with some white roads in there, gravel stage, and then it's concluding up the famous La Planche del Belfis, which the men tackled a few weeks ago in the Tour de France themselves. Before the race got underway, I sat down with three riders from EF Tipco Silicon Valley Bank team, Katrin Hums, Christina Doble-Hitcock and Letizia Borghese, and aside from chatting with them about what their expectations are for the Tour de France, it was really interesting to hear a bit about their background into the sport and just how the women's peloton has grown and developed in such a positive way in the recent years. Now, we all got to look at the men in the kit that Rafa and Palace Skateboards have designed to celebrate the return of the Women's Tour de France. Again, I love when they do this. Some serious, awesome kit gets created when they do these change-out kits. Well, let's hear from Katrin and Krista not only about the new change-out kit, but what they like about working with Rafa as female pro riders and some of their favorite pieces of clothing. The very first experience for me was to see the draft of the kit and I immediately liked it. Like I'm for me it's like the best kit in the Peloton <laughs> and I'm super excited to wear it. I mean the only reason for me to take it off is to put on the yellow jersey. <laughs> <laughs> like my absolute favorite thing is the aero jersey. It's just super comfortable and at the same time it feels so fast. I I mean for me, the problem is always if I have one favorite thing, I wear it all the time. So I actually wear it all the time in training also. I mean, I know we have a training jersey, but if the aero jersey feels better, I just, I'm just wearing the aero jersey. Um, and then I really like the pinnacle bibs also. They feel just as fast. And the time trial suit. Yeah, this is my first year racing and training in Rafa gear head to toe. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's really nice to look good and feel good on the bike. I think it makes a big difference in how I perform. I mean, I love um, the style of it. That's important to me. But the chamois and Eddie kit are the absolute most important thing because if they're not done right, that can be a world of pain. And I've had nothing but a comfortable ride on uh, their bibs. Well, guys, I'm not going to hold you up anymore. I hope you've been enjoying watching the Tour de France Femmes. It's about halfway through now and a very exciting race so far. So sit back and enjoy this episode with the girls. All right, we're here with my first guest, Catherine Hummers. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself. You're from, from what I understand, you're from Cologne in Germany. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, I grew up in Cologne. I went to school there, finished high school. And then um, I moved to Freiburg in the mm. south of Germany. Yeah, mainly to start my studies. I studied uh, sociology and I did this as a full-time student. So I'm maybe um, a bit different to other guests that you had here. 
Um, so I studied for time until 2015 in Freiburg. But I was always riding my bike next to it. Like as an amateur, I was racing on the weekends and I really enjoyed it actually. Oh, and nice. uh, we had a good group of people. Also Freiburg is a very, like there are a lot of amateur cyclists, a lot of group rides. It's, it's a good place for outdoor sports in general. After I did my master's degree, I got the opportunity to race for, the team was called Tipco SVB by then. And um, yeah, for me, it was perfect. It felt like a bit of a, like in my mind, I never had the vision to be like a pro cyclist and do this <laughs> a few years and now sit here to record a podcast. <laughs> it was more like, in my mind, it felt like a gap year, maybe. Um, like I, for sure, I was not planning to do this uh, more than five years. But then I really got into the sport itself also. Yeah, I mean, I got more competitive and I really mm. enjoyed like being a full-time uh, cyclist. And um, now I'm here. Well, not, what's not to love about it? And then this is this is something that I'm finding out with a lot of um, the female pros. They've all got a really good education behind them and most of them have a degree. Um, you've gone on and got a master's in it as well. This is something that is not that common in the male cycling, that's for sure. Um, and that's something I, I love about the female cyclists. I was, I was able to get my degree before I turned pro with this idea that I had a, something to fall back on. Um, mm -hmm. whether I'll actually do anything with that degree now because it was so long ago. Um, but I love the idea of it and maybe you can agree or disagree that having professional sport, it's it's a very um, narrow-minded type discipline and it is great when you're there. But as a young person going to university, it's it allows you to develop your own personality as a person, let alone the the, the study just to grow as a person, hanging out with different people, thinking about different ideas, questioning different things, and then you come into cycling afterwards. I think you've just got a, a, a new approach. Have you noticed mm -hmm. that, but also with the other the other women in the, in the peloton, that they have a bit more of a worldly sort of view of things? Yeah, I mean, for me, it really has two sides. I mean, I'm, it's so hard to imagine myself in a different path, so I'm really happy with what I did and that I'm here now and I appreciate what I like the experience that I made already. Um, but it really has two sides because I also like at this time I grew up at this time there were maybe like five or ten women in the peloton that could actually live from it. So I never yeah. like I didn't grow up with the perspective that it's actually a, a way or that it's possible to to live from mm. like racing bikes. Um, it was really like I mean I was always told yeah, it's nice. You can like you can earn four hundred euro a month, but yeah. for sure it will not be something you can rely on. And so for me, there was never like the option of doing it full time. And this really like this really changed. And this is a great momentum, I think, for the sport. For like, if you look at the sport, it's for sure more professional now because it actually is is a career for young riders. For me personally, I mean, I'm happy with the way I talk. I'm Krista Doble-Hagoff. I am from Marina del Rey, California, and I've been riding professionally since May 2013 when Linda Jackson signed me with what at the time was Team Tibco. And yeah, now we're EF Education Tibco SVB. Yeah, so I ran uh, cross country and track and field. So I did 
cross country, then indoor track, then outdoor track. So every season, every semester I was racing um, at Vanderbilt University. So yeah, like at the time, it was very important to me that, you know, I made high grades and everything was perfectly perfect and set me up for a perfect life. And then I graduated and I was injured. I was tired. I was frustrated. And I was still like, you know, I'm going to do this perfect life and I'm going to go to grad school. I figured maybe like for law or yeah, I mean, I studied (laughs) economics because it seemed like I remember flipping through the catalog and I was looking for something like business, something that seemed like, you know, like relevant to life. How I got into cycling was I, I mean, I could not run. I was not good enough to run at the professional level. I was too injured to run for even uh, happiness or health or anything. So I was on a stationary bike cross training and I came home. I was, I graduated (laughs) mid-year. I was on a five-year scholarship and after four and a half years, I was done with my degree. And I was like, I'm getting out of here. If I can't run anymore, um, (laughs) I'm done with my degree. I don't want to just study more for the sake of studying more. So I went home to California and I told my parents, look, I just need two weeks. Just get a bike, ride, be happy, like get my life together here, you know, just two weeks to like get some equilibrium. And I mean, what parents going to say no to that two weeks to, you know, get happiness? I mean, if we can get two weeks and happiness, this is great. So that was the plan. So I was like, oh, look, you know, I got a bike, you know, things are going good here, but I'm going to need two months. I graduated in December. By February, um, I was already racing. I was already on the podium. And I realized, like, I liked this. I had the desire to race again. And I wanted to see if I could do something in the sport. And nice. so after my first race... Before the two months had passed, I announced that I needed two years. And like, this is like a little bit different. We went from like two weeks to two years. Um, and within those two years, I did go pro. Now, of course, like what going pro means, you know, I signed for a professional team. That's about all that it means at that point. And I was nowhere near ready to race at the professional level. And I had no idea what it actually meant to race at the professional level. And I was basically just riding my bike around, crashing all over the place. But the director um, and Linda... And all the staff, like they saw a lot of potential in me and they were ready to like support me through that. I think it's really good that I was able to say, you know, I need to just pause and figure out what I want to do with my life. And yeah, so that's kind of how I ended up where I am. Tell me about your 10,000 meter time. What sort of runner were you just to give everyone a bit of, you know, perspective? Yeah, it's quite interesting. If I were to say what kind of runner I was, I'd say I was a really broken runner. Um, I ran 35.40 for my first attempt at the 10K, broke the school record, and then every 10K after that ran slower. So that pretty much summarizes my <laughs> college career. I think like that's one of the good things about cycling is like you, you have to be like really well physically, mentally, and emotionally to race a bike well. Running, you can kind of, I mean, you can just collapse on a track and it's not a big deal. Mm. You're like, oh, she was tired or whatever. But the bike, I mean, you're going at, you know, 50 kilometers per hour, you know, or 60, 70 sometimes, like you better have your, uh, your act together. <laughs> I'm Letizia Borghesi. I'm come from Italy, north of Italy, uh, Trentino. I am a pro rider since uh, from 2017. Uh, this is my first year in a World Tour team, so I'm really proud to be part of the team uh, EF Education Tipco SVB. I'm a student of uh, uh, biology and nutrition, 
um, before I did the University of Science of Sport and uh, I always uh, liked to, to study. I did the um, secondary uh, scientific uh, school and uh, I was a really good student and I really <laughs> like uh, math, physics and chemistry. So I decided to continue with my study also after the finish of the secondary school. I think that is a good thing to continue to, to study um, also while I'm cycling. So uh, yes, when uh, I go to the races, I, I try to, to study even if it's difficult sometimes because we, we are tired, we have not so much time available. So it's difficult, but I try to, to do both. I started with cycling at the at the age of 12 because my father was a cyclist and uh, um, I watched his races and uh, his victories so I wanted <laughs> to try this, this sport even if he never told me to, to try mm. and uh, uh, before uh, to do cycling I, I ran and uh, ah. I like running also now during winter i i run a lot because i live in a cold place <laughs> in um, in trentino a mountain region in oh. the north of italy so in the winter is really cold and uh, there is snow and it's difficult to train on the bike and you find the running is good for your cycling too yeah i think that running is really mm. good for training because uh, yeah um i think that uh, when I run, then I have more power and more endurance. Mm. And uh, I um, agree. I like it also because sometimes you you need to change a little bit sport for the mind. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yes, yes. And it, and for the body. Yeah, I think exactly, for the body yeah. too, because the cycling is so specific, and then the running it makes you feel free and your body feels open and it's good for your bones and everything yeah, yeah exactly i i like to to do both <laughs> and i think that is possible <laughs> if we see mm. many cyclocross racer like van art and mm. they do both also during the road season now you were from cyclocross as well weren't you yeah i always did the cyclocross i like this this part because yeah it's it's uh, a mix of uh, <laughs> of uh, skills uh, uh, and uh, also um, uh, it's good because uh, it's uh, 40 minutes full gas so it's nice training for the road season usually uh, I do some cyclocross races in December or January in Italy, but uh, two years ago, I went also in Belgium with all my family because also my sister is, um, mm. uh, yes. Cyclocross racer. Yes. And uh, my oh. parents uh, did uh, also the races with amateur, so all the family <laughs> were racing. <laughs> and <laughs> it was a mess because at the end we had uh, like a, a mountain of, dirty clothes <laughs> to wash and and uh, oh yeah in the camper and it was an adventure every time <laughs> are you also noticing that um some of your teammates you know they're studying as well or they have 
a degree or, you know, this this emphasis on education in the female peloton, is that something that you see a lot? Yeah, I think that uh, the women peloton is well-educated. <laughs> there are mm, uh, also yeah, uh, many riders that are doctors. So I think that maybe it's also because many riders started uh, later with cycling so they could uh, mm. finish the university and then started with cycling and with the men is a little bit different because you have to start earlier tell me about when you were young there was no tour de france for the women there was no paris roubaix for the women now things have changed what was your dream when you were young as a rider coming into the sport the race of my dreams uh, has always been Tour of Flanders, but now mm. with also Paris Roubaix and Tour de France, we have uh, a lot of um, more dreams. Like so amazing uh, to to have all these these nice races in our schedule, and uh, I yeah. think that Tour de France is something really special and. It's a big step for the women cycling to reach the male level. Were you like me when you were younger? Did you watch the Tour de France on TV and you thought, ah, oh, this is the pinnacle? Were you involved with the Tour de France? Did you watch the Tour de France on the TV when you were younger? Yes. When I was younger, I always followed Tour de France and uh, Giro and uh, I always uh, look at these cyclists that were so so strong to overcome their limit and to uh, fight again the the big mountain, the wind, the bad weather condition, and for me they were like heroes. And now, uh, if I think that we can be at in this place like them, uh, it's really something big, like. What do you what do you think um, about the women who raced back in the seventies? You know, they were racing. I'm not that old. No, no, <laughs> you can't. Yeah, but you may know you may know of them in the seventies mm-hmm. because yeah. they were really racing for, like, I mean, purely the love of it. The races mm-hmm. weren't very big. They weren't getting any exposure. There was no teams really. There was no money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these guys were the these girls. Sorry, were the were the trailblazers. These were the flag flyers. Things are becoming in a really good way not easy is not the right word but it is it's it's going forward things are becoming it's becoming a better sport what do you think about those mm-hmm. those women who really did it before you well before you as um you know really for the love of it i mean for me like i only have respect for everyone that kind of paved the path that yeah. so that we can now like actually make a living out of it yeah i mean it's it's really like sometimes i feel like like there's there was so much passion and still for some writers it is like more about the passion than about making money out mm. of it like this is a difference for me com- like if i compare women's sport to men's sport and sometimes i feel like that's also when this like a few years ago um maybe women's cycling didn't seem as professional and i think that's part of it because so many people just do it for the passion and not like as a job, like if a male cyclist that has a really good salary is told to do this or this in a race, like there's no question. But if mm. someone invests so much time of like next to a job to train for something and is in a good shape and wants then like she wants to show it. And maybe that's 
like in my mind that was maybe a reason why it sometimes didn't seem as professional but this is really changing it changed a lot mm. over the last few years definitely yeah you can definitely notice that the style of racing and do you feel responsibility about the next generation um you know like like i just said about the generations or the few generations before you keeping this racing you know do you feel this responsibility to keep the racing interesting to make it feel like exciting because i feel like the the women's cycling comes under a lot of scrutiny as soon as it falls back or the race is boring deemed boring or not professional do you feel this responsibility like hey we need to keep this racing exciting for the future for the for the next girls coming through you know because it's it's Mm -hmm. it's got it's got this momentum and you want to keep this momentum are you feeling any kind of responsibility um yeah i mean for sure as cycling in general i do yeah i mean there's Mm. only that much i can do myself as a rider in a race to achieve that but as like as a representative representative of the sport for sure yeah I mean, it's mostly in, like, if I train with young people, it's kind of new that if I train with, like, firstly, it's, to me, it's always new that there are groups of women, uh, like girls, actually, because when I grew up, I was always the only girl in a men's, uh, like, in a boys club. But this changed already, and there are a lot of races for girls, and actually, I can tell them now, um, yeah, I mean, focus on the sport, why not? Try, you, you like, there's a good perspective for, for you, you can for sure try for a few years. And this yeah. is different. Like to me as a child, I would have never said this. I mean, <laughs> well, there was no perspective. So like there was no point in not doing my homework to, to spend more time <laughs> on the bike. When you think back to the 70s, you know, the women racing back then, there was no real, there was no teams. There was no races as we know of like today. And these ladies, women were racing really, really for the love of it. Um, and I'm not saying you're yeah. not either, but times have changed there's there's great things now like the you know the women's tour de france the giro things that are are sort of roubaix as well great sort of things to race for what do you think about those original pioneers and do you feel like a bit of a pioneer now for yourself someone who is sort of feeling this pressure to also fly the flag for the future generation as well like i have a responsibility to give the best possible sport to the future generation, but that does not necessarily equate to exciting racing. Um, You know, I think what's important to push for is very professional standards, a very professional sport for the next generation. And I think that we are seeing, but that doesn't always mean that we're just going to go attacking full gas from kilometer Mm. zero, because that's not necessarily the best way for us to win a race. Right. So, Sometimes a team needs a very aggressive um, race that's raced hard from the start. And sometimes a team is, you know, down half its riders and its best chance is to ride in the peloton and, you know, attack with 5K to go or something, you know. Um, And I think people don't always understand the sport. I think when people better understand the sport, they can appreciate how different teams are racing. It becomes really fascinating. But yeah, I mean, I think already in terms of health and well-being and salaries and opportunities, um, where we're at now compared to where we were when I first started racing professionally is, I mean, you can't even compare it. I mean, the things that new racers come in and are like, oh, this is not good. I'm like, oh, no, this is like amazing. (laughs) Like you should have seen where it was five months ago, you know, five years ago. I mean, you know, and that's it's a difficult thing because we're always pushing for better. But then I think, especially on the women's side, we always feel like we have to appreciate what we have. But yeah, I mean, I think the the rate at which the sport is progressing, I mean, it's just going to keep getting more and more professional. Yeah. I think that 
we should every day um, fight for uh, for uh, increase the level of women cycling and improve the things that are still not working uh, at 100% and uh, it's important to to fight and and show our values in the in the races because now we have uh, also a lot of more public and many young uh, young girl watching uh, to us so if we uh, can give them strong uh, emotions some feelings they will start to to try this sport mm. and uh, this will be um, a win for women cycling let's let's talk about the tour de france femmes um let's first of all talk about that name because what are your thoughts on the name Tour de France Femmes and not just called the Tour de France? You know, I think it should be called mm-hmm. the Tour de France, the men's race and the women's race. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, yeah. I noticed this with a lot of names in the women's in women's cycling, actually. I mean, like still thinking about cycling is for me like a really male dominated mm. sport. Like it's it's there are a lot of examples like if you there's a world tour and a women's world tour like there is a tour de france and a women's tour de france or, tour de france Femme, or pa- the same with paris roubaix um yeah. but i mean at the same time i totally ap- appreciate that there is the momentum and there is a tour de france it's great but yeah. yeah in my ideal world it would be one tour de france for and then like it would be self-explaining if it's for men or for women like it wouldn't be necessary to point that out no, exactly. What about when you were growing up? Did you watch the Tour de France on TV? Yes. Did you have the dreams that when you were young and even when you started riding, you know, because there were, what were your dreams? Because there was no women's Tour de France, no yeah. women's Paris-Roubaix. You know, things have changed now. But what were, what were things that you were dreaming about doing as you started to get into cycling? Yeah, this is a good question. I mean, when I started, there was a men's Tour de France and I actually didn't even know there were women's races. But also, when I started, I started in a cycling club. I really enjoyed the company, riding with the people. Like, my vision was not to, to race. I remember when I started, and then I start, just started racing because everyone else was doing it, because the boys were racing. And then I remember I started my first race, which was a boys' race, because I started with my friends. And then there were some women at this event, and they said, yeah, but why are you starting here? Why are you not starting in the, in the women's race? And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm not, I'm a junior, <laughs> um, I'm not a woman. And then they were like, yeah, but next time start with the women because they like, it's, it's easier to, 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 to race in this race um, compared to the men's juniors. And I didn't even know that that was allowed or that that, that, that was an option. The same with the Tour de France. I mean, I was watching the tour and for me, it was super exciting. It was also this, the time when Jan Ulrich was very successful. Mm. I had a telecom jersey, like a short sleeve telecom jersey, which I always put on top of my long sleeve so that everyone can see. (laughs) Um, And yeah, for me, it was super exciting. But at the same time, it was nothing for me. This was Mm. not for sure not like I was never thinking this could be a path for me. Um, When people ask you about races, if there's one that they ask you, are you doing it? It's that. And for so many years, I've been asked that and had to tell people, oh, no, um, sorry, like, that's not quite how it works. But we have this really cool race, like it's 10 days called the Jira. Have you heard of it? And they're like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, cool. You know, it, you could just as well be telling them you were going to do punchable road race. You know, it's interesting because on one hand, like everyone has so much excitement around this race um, and it is a huge opportunity. But 
I think it's unfortunate that we have a lot of really amazing races that we've had for many years that just we haven't appreciated as much. Mm. And so, yeah, I hope that with this exposure, um, maybe people start to realize like, oh, wow, that was really cool and exciting to be a part of, you know, fans from the fan perspective and that we can make them realize, oh, and there's a whole bunch more races very similar to this. Well, it's being promoted now as the first Tour de France um, for females, but, you know, clearly that's incorrect. Did you know that the, the first Tour de France was in 1955 for females? No, women? I didn't. I mean, I knew there was a Tour de France before, with like the last edition, I think, in 2009, or similar to a Tour de France. I yes. Think it was well, called Grand Boucle. But uh, um, no, I didn't know it's like it's that old. They they had one back in 1955, and of course mm-hmm. the you know the more um, famous for famous editions, the more um, promoted editions, I guess, are the 80s. You know, between 1984 and 1989. You know, what do you think about those old those old tours? Because you know there were 18 stages, um, and this is your tour is going to be eight stages. Um, what do you what are your thoughts on the two? Are you happy with the format of the Tour de France, eight stages, or would you like to sort of see it be, you know, what it used to be, 18 stages and make it a real long grand tour? Or what are you thinking at the moment? Like, first of all, I would really like to to watch the race back then. But, yeah. I mean, I never found any coverage or anything, but it would be super cool. And then, um, like, I'm personally totally happy with eight stages, and it's a great parkour, I think. Like, I'm personally happy with it. Um, mm. And I also, I'm, I, I don't know, I wouldn't be interested in doing the 18 stages now. But no. at the same time, I realized that there is a difference. And of course, like, it does make a difference in the image of the tour, because it kind of feels like, oh, the women are not able to, to compete for three weeks. But would yeah. you want to do three weeks? That's, that's no. the question, no, too. That's you the know thing. What I mean? No, I, don't, yeah. I wouldn't want to. Um, mm. But at the same time, I don't like the difference. But I mean... Like for me, like, no. I mean, if I could decide, I would for sure go for the eight stages. Yeah, and I nice. mean, I can imagine that a lot of men would prefer to. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paris-Nice is eight stages long, and that is a ferociously hard race. Many mm-hmm. talk about that in the men's peloton as the hardest race of the year, even mm-hmm. with, next to the Grand Tours. It's just a really hard race. So I think you girls are going to have a really tough race looking at the parkour as well what do you think about the uphill finish the mountaintop finish obviously you're starting on the champs elysees mm-hmm. first of all tell me what you think about riding around the champs elysees because that has got a lot of history about it yeah. of course no one gets to ride around there without traffic i don't care what yeah. race it is but that's just special to ride around there yeah. with the road closed yeah it's really special i mean i did la course before the one day race um mm. in the Twitter, like on the it was the same format like on the last day of the men's race before the yep. men's and like this was really not a course for me but it was one of the most special things that i have done in cycling because like it's just like there are so many people out there it's so special to race there and also the course <laughs> is a lot harder than it looks on tv um <laughs> yeah. uh yeah this is really cool and then i'm really happy with uh, parkour in general because it's a bit like riding home for me like we start in Paris and then we ride towards Freiburg the last stages are just like 100 kilometers from where I live now so I can actually ride like I did some of the climbs already in training so yeah I mean it seems like it's made for me (laughs) what do you think about finishing up um the super plancher 
Clash de Belfleet. You know, the, the gravel climb, as we know it, are you expecting the big crowds, the Tour de France crowds, pushing through that sort of style? Um, and what are you sort of envisioning about finishing? Well, because it's, it's strange to finish at a mountaintop, you know, to finish a, a tour like that. I mean, for me personally, it sounds exciting. Um, yeah, nice. I'm always really impressed how many people or if and how people fans come up to a mountaintop finish to watch the race because it seems like it's a really big effort. Like, mostly they have to park somewhere else and then walk up. Um, so, I mean, I hope to see a lot of people. Um, a lot of my friends in Freiburg already said they will for sure come. So <laughs> they will be there. Yeah, I mean, it, for sure it does something to the race itself. Also, if like the peloton knows the last day will be about to finish. I think it's, it's exciting. I can tell you now from the men's perspective, if we finished up a mountaintop, we would not want that to be the finish of the race because it's just too hard. You guys have got it, you got it hard, you know? We've got the soft option. Um. <laughs> I mean, we could add an, another stage to ride back to Paris. Yeah, or just somewhere flat, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm not a climber, so that's why I like that. The last stage should for sure go into Freiburg. That would be nice. That would be yeah. nice. Heinrich Hausler would love that too. Yeah. You know, what are you feeling about the parkour of your Tour de France? Yeah, I think that is a really good idea to start in Champs-Élysées uh, with uh, so much public and um, to match our first stage with the last one of the men. It will be really special to start in Paris uh, in front of yeah. Tour Eiffel, Eiffel Tower and... Uh, Yep. I really looking forward to to this first stage because it will be the the first uh, fight for the yellow jersey. Uh, all the mm. the rider will be so motivated, and so I think that the race will be amazing and mm. hard, but amazing. <laughs> I uh, really hope to do a good race in the first stage. Yeah, the last two days gonna be really, really so. Uh, I only um, view the the stage on Veloviewer, so I don't, I didn't do <laughs> the recon. But many riders that tried this stage uh, told me that were so hard. So uh, our tour will will decided will be decided in the last two stage and yeah. this will be on one hand this is a good thing because you don't know the the final uh, general classification until the finish so uh, it's the the public and the supporter want to to follow every stage and every mm. mu minute after the uh, until the uh, eight finish line so this is cool <laughs> i have to say and i'm not just saying this to say it i actually think that it's really well designed uh i like that there's courses that suit all types of riders because it means that a team needs to bring a very well-rounded team to it um and that there's opportunities uh that every rider can be excited for you know we're gonna have stages where we're gonna go all in for our sprinter and we're gonna have stages um you know at the end that we expect to set the gc um, and I think for me personally, like I usually have good resistance to fatigue, like as the stage race goes on, I usually have my best results, like on stage five, if you look at like my stage ones and whatnot. Um, so for me to have the summit finish or, I mean, 
that you have one that's virtually a summit finish stage seven um at the end of the race is actually really good for my results or um opportunities to perform and i think you know having such an iconic start i mean yes of course it's going to make the excitement level even higher but i mean i don't know that it can go any higher than it already is like i mean i've never seen Mm. racers sponsors staff i mean everyone is like you know on the excitement level one to ten it's like everybody's already at a ten so i don't know that (laughs) you know a different location or start point would have you know could be any higher um yeah you know i think it's always special when it's the first of something and um Mm. from the start of the year like everybody's wanted to be on this roster including myself um and i think it's an accomplishment for um women's cycling as a whole to have the race um and i think it's important that all the racers that for whatever reason aren't on the start line feel that they're a part of it it's always frustrating Mm. to me when racers on a team like because they're not at a race don't know what's going on or don't feel a part of it because like teammates um who aren't there can still really support a team and be a crucial part of it um so i hope that like the racers that whether you know, they just weren't suited to it or having an off season, whatever, aren't able to be there, weren't selected, like know that they're still a part of our team and a part of the race mm. in the moment. Well, how do you think the the men can benefit from the women's cycling in terms of if it, the Tour de France is a really successful Tour de France, you know, like I mm-hmm. think it can actually benefit both sides. What do you think? How can, it, how can the oh, men's sure, cycling yeah. benefit from For women's me, cycling? Yeah, I mean, to me, it just like rounds up cycling in general because Mm. i mean 50 percent of the people are women so like like it's 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 for me it feels more like there is a missing part at the moment and like if this would come together it's it's just more round in general and i mean a lot of men cyclists also have family have daughters and it's so much easier to to talk about cycling in general and to give them access to the sport as well for me just everyone benefits sponsors cyclists exactly everyone yeah, exactly yeah. and on the flip side what do you think the men's peloton can do to support women's cycling like i think the most important is just to show respect in whatever ways people are comfortable with like if it's just interaction or if someone is big in social media or on social media or in interviews i think that's the biggest point to just take it as a sport or like as part of the same sport in like in the ideal way like for me the most important and i also feel like riders naturally do it because like they know that it's a hard sport and they know we are suffering the same on the same climb and it's like hard for everyone so why not yeah i think one of the differences that i've noticed in men's and women's cycling is how approachable the women are you know when people come up and want to photograph with us or to sign something, I mean, for us, it's like almost still, you know, very exciting. I mean, if, if a little girl wants a picture with me, like that makes my day. And I know some men are like that and some are like, you know, just leave me alone or whatever. Um, and I think like the personalities and the excitement and the gratitude that the woman's side has, um, when mm. people see that, um, it can build up even more excitement for the sport as a whole and for, men's racing and yeah i'd like to see them be appreciated more as um one unit i think we have a lot to give men's cycling and men's cycling has a lot to give us what do you think the men's peloton can do to support women's cycling yeah i i mean i think it's difficult because when we say the men's peloton i think of the men's racers because that is the peloton 
And I mean, I don't think they're doing anything wrong. I mean, some of them are like super, you know, if they see something not right in women's cycling, they'll call it out and push for better. And then there's some that if they see something brilliant, will say like, you know, applaud it. And I think that's great. But I honestly don't think that the men's Peloton is the problem or the solution. Um, I think maybe the infrastructure behind the men's Peloton, the teams behind it, the sponsors, okay, they can do more to support women's cycling. But I mean, when I, you know, look at one of the men's racers, whether he be one of the best in the world or, you know, one of the worst in the world in terms of performance or results, I mean, you know, they're just like me. They just want to race their bike and eat their porridge and drink their (laughs) coffee and have a good night's sleep, you know? And that's, I mean, that's all that I expect of them to, you know, I would not want on the flip side, somebody saying that I need to do all these things to elevate men's cycling, you know, and I don't expect them Mm. to do anything extraordinary to elevate women's cycling. Um, And I've met some really amazing men's racers, like when I first started cycling that, you know, would let me train with them and, you know, just show me that like they wanted the best for me. And I think I've always had a lot of men in my life, whether it be, a coach or another cyclist that like they just wanted to see me happy and when you're happy you're the best bike racer you can be so i don't know i felt nothing but support from like the men's peloton um the question i think to me is more how can we bring on more sponsors that are putting Mm. massive funds into men's cycling put a little bit more into women's cycling and i think yes because uh now the um, the uh, men world of cycling is uh really near to women uh, world like many teams has men and also women so uh, if uh, the level of women improve uh, like a consequence also the mm. the level of the the men cycling will uh, will improve and yes i think that we if women cycling improve uh, like a consequence also the men one yeah uh, I think that um, men can support women cycling like with uh, re- respect, like they should consider us like at, at the same level, not uh, at a uh, low, lower level. I think that men cyclists are um, uh, men riders are uh, um, really good in supporting uh, women cyclists. Uh, because, yeah, I I think that in the last years, men the the riders um, are considering more the the women and uh, um, they understand more our values. Yeah. Like also uh, with Anemik Van Vleuten that <laughs> train every day yeah. with may with men, they maybe understand that our level is. <laughs> It's pretty high, and (laughs) it's not easy to win a a a women race. So I think that yeah, uh, we did big step already for to reach a Mm. same level. What do you want? What do you personally want out of the Tour de France yourself? You know, have you got any? What are your personal ambitions? What do you want? It could be. A stage win, it could be the the atmosphere, it could be a whole lot of things. What are you expecting out of the Tour de France? I mean, I'm really looking forward I'm, to it. I'm super excited about the idea of racing something that is called the Tour de France. Um, I mean, we had 
we had really hard stage races in France already that I did, mm. but like especially in interaction with people, like especially people that don't know much about cycling, the first question is always, oh, so you are racing bikes. So does it mean you're racing the Tour de France? Yeah. And it will be so great to just can like that if I can, can just say, yes, I did. Yeah. Um, and then for me personally, I mean, of course, I want to be in the best shape possible. And then I think also with the team, we can do some really cool stuff. I mean, we have really strong climbers on the team that can surprise on this Planche de Belfi. Hmm. Um, and um, of course, we can also go for opportunities and stage wins. I mean, that would be ideal, but hmm. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a dream. <laughs> oh, perfect. That's great. And is there any particular stage that you're looking at yourself? You know, are you thinking, you know, I really like the last stage or are you just going to see what happens? No, I mean, I didn't pick out a stage. I mean, I just in general want to have a good race with the team. Mm -hmm. um, and present the team in a good way. And that's the main goal, basically. And then we have to look for opportunities and take them when they appear. My goal is to cross the last finish line in, uh, of Tour de France satisfied and uh, with the um, awareness that in the future I can do a lot in this, in this race. Mm. But I want already uh to do some good results and uh, i'm training really hard to to for this uh i think that i have uh some stash that are really good for me like the the third stash that is similar to a plastics race and mm -hmm. yeah so uh yeah i want to i would like to have already some good result, but also to be satisfied with my, not, not on, only for the results, but also for, for my performance. And I'm to come out from the tour with more um, self-confidence. Like. Of course, like as a climber, I would like to show up in good enough form that the team wants me to have the opportunity to, mm. you know, go for a personal result on the summit finish. Um, cool. But if I'm not, you know, with that kind of form, then... You know, I, I won't. I will probably write a support role um, for Veronica. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, ideally I would like to come in with very good form and just be completely empty um, at the summit finish. Um, I think that's like the greatest feeling when you just know you gave everything that you mm. have and the tour is over. But that's part of racing. You don't, it's very unpredictable. A lot can happen in the stages leading up to it um, and the days leading up to it. So, yeah, I mean, I just want to see us race as a team and and give each other everything that we have and walk away Perfect, from the tour yeah. really proud of each other. Well, there we have it. I hope you were able to learn something a little bit more about the women's peloton, each of these three girls, and also a little bit about what it means to them to have the Tour de France Femmes back and rolling again, but also just where the direction of the women's peloton is going and how strong it is now with the support, with the sponsors jumping on board, and what this can really mean for cycling in general, I think. Not just women's cycling, but men's cycling can really benefit from women's cycling doing well. A big thanks goes out to Lara behind the scenes. Of course, Will Jones, who's piecing these episodes together. But last and not least is definitely Rafa, who are really helping me put these episodes together this year, coming up with great ideas and helping me find some guests to interview or talk to on the podcast here. 
I've loved working with them on and off the podcast this year. So I hope you guys have enjoyed it too. Next week, I've got Lizzie Banks on Talking Luft. She's a writer on EF Tipco Silicon Bank as well. She's injured at the moment on the sidelines and enjoying watching her colleagues, her friends racing the Tour de France at the moment. But I got her on Talking Luft. It's a cracker of an episode. So hang in till next week, guys. Until then, cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.